Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, a TV program for once, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. And today we're talking about the 2018 TV show, The Haunting of Hill House. This will contain spoilers. Um, so the general gist of, uh, this TV show is that it's like split into two timelines. So you get some point, I think I worked out it was about 26 years ago. They mentioned, <laughs> they mentioned one of the characters ages. I think like Steve is 39 and then I'm guessing he's about 13 or 14 um, earlier. So there's like a 25 year time difference. So you follow the, kids when they are kids and then also when they are grown up and the idea is that when they were kids at the house their mother died under mysterious circumstances and then in present times um their sister has just died under mysterious circumstances so it's kind of about discovering what's going on and also just exploring the characters in general so yeah yeah, that's that, that's the basic idea. Um, do you, do you want to get straight on with the plot, or just talk about the way that they do that style of like the two timelines and separate characters and stuff? I mean, I guess it might be worth um, giving an overview first, just talking about what we think of the series as a whole, and then we can dig down into the specifics. Yeah. So between like going th- between the two time eras it's really obvious to tell because they look a lot different but um they are really obsessed which is a good thing i would argue with like getting smooth transitions between the two so you know a lot of times there'll be someone it'll a scene will end with someone opening a door and then that it transitions to like them opening a door in the in the other time period uh so they really like making those transitions smooth. Yeah. I'm sure they had a lot of fun with it. Sometimes I couldn't tell like if they were forcing them. Like I remember one is just um the dad like banging on the wall because then it changes to him knocking on the door. Hmm. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah, because I mean I'm sure we'll come to it, but the standout uh point if you're talking about this is probably episode six because like that's the one where the cinematography is is really cool and um the i think i counted before the last five minutes there were a total of five shots or something so they try and make it look like it's largely one continuous shot and uh and a lot of that is going back between the two different time periods but i do think it's very interesting that rather than being too heavily focused on the horror aspects of it which there is still horror in it but it's largely based on like the the drama and tension within the family itself 
and I read somewhere that the the five children are meant to sort of symbolize the five stages of grief. So Stephen's denial, Shirley's anger, and Theo is bargaining, Luke's depression, and Nellie's acceptance. So it's quite interesting to make the comparisons between the two time periods and sort of obviously they're able to link them both through the, like as you were saying, the, the technical aspects with the um, how they filmed it. Yeah, mm. I guess that would make sense because there are quite a lot of children, so that makes sense on the number, but Nell being a thing for acceptance is kind of weird seeing as she, you know, ends up killing herself. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, even this denial what are you gonna do? probably makes the most sense, all Luke depression. Because yeah. Yeah, I really like the the. Well, should we just go on with like saying that the first five episodes, how they structure it is they each deal with one specific character and sort of it kind of carries on like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oldest um, to youngest. Oh, I didn't realize it went from oldest to youngest. <laughs> well, I didn't really realize that they were doing that at all until halfway through the second episode because there is, although the first episode is largely focused on Steve. I thought he would sort of be the protagonist throughout the whole thing. Mm. Plus, there's a bit of Shirley and Theo stuff in episode yeah. two, in the first episode, which sort of sets up a lot of questions. So, but then I, as I started to realize that's what they were doing, I think, especially the Luke and Nell ones were particularly standout in the first half of the season. Yeah. So yeah. The, the first five episodes, they sort of followed each individual character, um, each of the kids, and then the last five is sort of told from the perspective of the parents and stuff so i think the point is that uh all of these children uh have slightly different perspectives on what happened that night and each of them recalls it differently and each of them sort of suffered the trauma um in different ways and the viewers sort of taken on that same journey as they try to piece together what actually happened from each person's side of the story. Um, yeah, and it works especially well in this first episode, and then later in like episode, I guess four. Um, yeah, it can't be that I don't know, but there's like a point in this episode. It's right near the end when Steve has gone back to his apartment, uh, and then you see Luke leaving with like his. His iPad and camera, and he's basically stolen uh, some of his stuff. And then Luke says it's not what it's looked like. So obviously, because of what you know so far, you assume Luke is using it to um, buy heroin. Um, but it's only later on, like in Luke's episode, where you get to see that actually he's trying to help someone he knows get off of heroin, but he has no money to do so. Yeah, I think. Stuff like that, you know, it it does well at withholding information in an interesting way. Yeah. Something that I especially liked was the fact that I think you see this probably the most when you have Stephen's perspective, just because um, if he's meant to sort of encapsulate denial, then I like the the relationship between him and his dad because he's, like, blaming him for you know, trying to conceal the truth, which is quite physically seen in the first episode where on the final night, which you don't really find out much about until the last few episodes, he's like physically um, 
blinded from the truth and uh that's why he's having he's writing this book but there's always this contempt towards him because he's he's not really he's sort of glorifying it and he's not really telling an accurate uh depiction of what actually happened because um he he didn't actually really see it uh so i i really like that relationship but then in the second i, I can't remember exactly what episode it was but you start to get more of the perspective of the parents and especially the dad uh and you sort of you sort of see their side and what motivated them because it's quite interesting with the mum who was trying to uh protect them and sort of sh- shelter them from the outside world but um it's not necessarily something that was in their best interest yeah mm. i think we should so the each of the children have obviously gone through trauma and i think it's well i'll just quickly run down sort of how they dealt with it so steven's um steven wrote a book about it and sort of launched his career as a writer basically just sort of uh writing up the events of hill house as he remembered them and capitalizing off of that um which caused a rift with his family members because um they didn't like the way it was portrayed or um they and a couple of them just didn't think that it should be sold the um the sort of experiences they've been through so he offered each of them publishing royalties um and only well only Theo ended up accepting but then uh Shirley's husband uh accepted to keep her funeral home business afloat um but she was very adamant against taking the money calling it blood money and stuff um so Shirley is uh obviously anger as the stage of grief and she seems to be really aggressive towards especially Stephen and Luke um you find out through flashbacks that you know she stopped Luke coming to Nell's wedding because uh he was high and she seems to just not have any forgiveness but equally the flip side of that is um her business is kind of failing because she feels bad for uh people who's who've died the fat grieving families um and then Theo is uh a psychiatrist um but she's also kind of living this sort of i guess slightly hedonistic lifestyle where she's basically just hooking up with people especially this one girl um who well you say hooking up with people but we only see a hook up with one person yeah. who becomes a long-term relationship i mean it does, surely does little... say a line yeah. like saying you're worse than a frat boy or something like that <laughs> yeah there was there's that implication um and then luke obviously is just an addict he's um really affected by this and sort of got, turns to a life of drugs and uh, it's hard for him to escape that cycle um and then nell is nell just kind of wants to be heard and tries to talk to each of her family members but because of their own like fractured uh lives they there's loads of tension between them so she often asks unrealistic things or um like she did with theo um like acts out and interrupted 
one of Stephen's book events and uh you know you can really see from each of these characters perspectives that they're suffering and uh none of these things are like meant with an ill heart but it's just the the conflict uh between each of them uh it's just sort of fracturing the family relationship and all of them kind of resent the father for keeping stuff from them keeping the true events of the night um of what actually happened on the final night from them especially Stephen. um she later finds is for good reason um because he was trying to protect the image of the mother in their eyes um and i think it's kind of fitting that the series ends with Stephen being the only one who knows the full truth um and sort of knows how things actually ended with like the father sacrificing himself to le let them all leave the red room uh but um, yeah, should we just give a like a quick rundown of the plot in each episode? I feel like that's kind of needed at this point. Uh, so I mean, episode one is basically just setting everything up. Like you see Stephen. I remember I enjoyed the cinematography of the bit of him interviewing the woman for his new book, where it just kind of stays on the phone recording for ages. I liked that. <laughs> but that basically follows Stephen and he finds out Nell's died. Episode 2 you follow Shirley and it kind of shows about like how death was quite traumatic for her with these kittens uh, but also you find out why she gets into becoming a funeral director because of when it was their mum's funeral um, the director th there, that was an open casket one you know and he'd kind of fixed her as they say and uh you know put makeup on and made make them look better than you know a dead body <laughs> and it kind of helps to preserve that image uh i think that's mainly is that the main takeaway from episode two um yeah i guess it's just that um at the very end of episode one it's revealed that nell has killed herself um yeah and you know, Stephen sees her ghost, so that, and that's the episode title. Stephen sees a oh, ghost. Oh yeah, and, and Shirley uh, also in episode two decides to do like the funeral for Nell and herself. Yeah, which everyone's like, isn't that a bit much? But she yeah, <laughs> sort of her coping mechanism. Episode three then follows Theo, who you find out has this kind of like psychic ability where if she touches someone she can um like feel their feelings or stuff that's going to happen it's not explicitly explained but it's some kind of psychic ability which is why she wears gloves all the time and she basically uses that to be a a child therapist and in the episode she actually saves a child from sexual abuse uh, by like using those powers, I think they did that in like quite a nuanced way. I thought and it was really effective with like the Mister Smiley thing and yeah, sort of her being able to sympathise with the situation she's in. But also in this episode, um, they did some quite interesting flashbacks to, uh, as I was saying before, with the parents trying to cover up the 
um actual state of the house partly because they don't understand it themselves but um when nell i think it no when i think it's theo and luke find the basement and he goes down into the basement and then they're trying to sort of cover it up and say oh there is no basement and um that's also shown with his recurring visions of she's called abigail yeah yeah who it's sort of set up throughout the most of the series you presume she's a ghost but then there's kind of a bit of a twist that i'm sure we'll come on to yeah Hmm. Um, so after Theo's episode, we go on to Luke's, um, who's been mainly absent to this point. Uh, you've only seen like the brief, well, you've seen flashbacks of him, um, but you've only seen the adult version of him really stealing from Stephen's apartment. Uh, it turns out he's been going through this uh, program to like treat his addiction, and he's reached a ninety-day clean milestone, um, and. He's ha- he has a close friend who maybe there's a bit of like uh, romantic tones uh, sort of implied, but uh, really it's just his close friend who's got him through his addiction, who's been clean for a lot longer than he has, um, and she ends up relapsing, uh, running away and relapsing, and he goes after her, and the the program won't have him back. Um, so he goes to Stephen's apartment to try and get her some stuff, get her into a hotel room, um, and basically she runs off and he can't find her anymore. And all, all of this time he's been feeling really cold and stiff, um, which it's revealed that he has a sort of connection with Nell because they were twins, um, and he's having a physical reaction to her death which I found quite interesting. Um, so, like, all his yeah. life, he's felt her pain, and it it ends with uh, Stephen telling him about uh, her suicide, and he was, and he's adamant that, no, she did not kill herself. Um, like, the house or something. I can't remember the exact lines. Um, and then... We get on to... I, I, I like... Wait, I'll just say quickly, in, in that episode I liked the flashbacks to the ghosts and stuff. Um, so there was... I'm pretty sure it was that episode where he was hiding under his bed from a ghost that entered his room in a really tall one in like a bowler hat um, that hovered up and reappeared when he was older and he has this... Uh, thing where he counts to seven because seven members of his household to keep yeah. him grounded. That that's another yeah, that... example of a lot of times they'll show a character doing something that isn't explained. So I think it's in episode. It must be episode one because it's in the treehouse. Yeah, which only Stephen can see as we find out later, where he's counting to seven, and then that comes back, and you find explained. That's explained, and it's like even that happens within the Mr. Smiley bit, like, with uh, Theo when she's gone into the basement and she lies on the couch and then seems to get, like, really panicked and terrified and you have no idea why. And it's only later that you find out because that's, you know, she's realised that's where the abuse is happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that the shot you were mentioning with the 
tall ghost. I think that was like really palpable just because uh like the cinematography was really cool like following him under the bed but it did this thing quite a lot in this series where it would sort of set up a jump scare but then not necessarily fulfill it so it kind of subverted your expectations and it sort of went against the typical horror trope of loads of jump scares that you see in things which can you know be a bit cliche yeah, I also and it did it a lot, like working with the cinematography and using kind of empty spaces. So a lot of times you'll be looking over a character's shoulder at a dark corridor that's not in focus, and and it's panning round, and you just assume there's going to be something there, and that's actually, you know, it's just more the paranoia that uh, it does really well at. But equally, yeah, um, because... it there's a lot of ghosts sort of e- as Easter eggs, sort of hidden. Throughout yeah, some that's of the what shots. I was gonna say. Yeah, like I, I watched a video going through them all, and I'm I only noticed about two, but I feel like that sort of you know it's a really subtle way of making it way more creepy, rather than having to be really obnoxious and in your I, face. There was one with the mum where there was one like a ghost just in the window like ages, <laughs> and I yeah. was like, "What? Come on!" <laughs> I wasn't ever noticed that. I I can't tell if that one I. I sent you two like a video from when I watched it where it's panning past a doorway and then it's really difficult to tell, but I swear that there's a ghost there and it's... There probably but I'm is. not sure. It could literally just be a statue. <laughs> it, there's well, there about... Was... In some episodes, there must be about 10. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But then there was another... But then, like, I watched a video going into a lot of detail about the series and there was uh, Mike Flanagan, the creator... Um, in one of his interviews had mentioned that like a lot of the uh stuff in the household like purposefully had faces on it so like the doorknobs and statues and stuff and i, I think it was to uh sort of build that paranoia that something's watching and the house has its own consciousness i can't remember the exact quote but i just thought that was really interesting directorial choice um, yeah because also Linking back to the ghosts, when you have the the person fixing the clock, you know you you initially just see that as some something quite innocuous, just you know someone standing there with all the people working on the house. But then you later find out that that was a, that that clock had hadn't been fixed in however long. So yeah, it's sort of like a bit of a shock that genuinely feels really earned rather than just uh, being really out of the blue and designed to just have like a sudden reaction unless you're me who didn't notice the guy there before (laughs) (laughs) so it only really worked on later ones and yeah and i'm pretty sure that what i saw was a ghost from like (laughs) the one extremely that's a distinct leg we're going to assume it's not just a crew member left in shot (laughs) no okay we are going to assume that these are intentional ghosts that like the yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it's not a real ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, just going back to episode four, I felt that this one worked really well just by itself in isolation because mm. uh, it had like a, obviously it explained things that have been set up in earlier episodes and it did the thing with the flashbacks, but it almost felt like it had a cyclical structure because at the start you have that, really impactful scene with that um the soldier talking about how he 
blinded himself to try and, uh, you know, trying to forget about the atrocities of war that have sort of been haunting him, but now he can permanently see it. And that's sort of yeah. linked to Luke, who is using the drugs as a coping mechanism to suppress these ghosts that he keeps on seeing. But then when he is ultimately sober, he sees his mom, which is almost... He, he confronts the the tall ghost with the hat, which is originally given into giving to him to, uh, you know, it's like a big boy hat or something, but he also yeah. has like a genuine heartfelt uh, moment with his mum, which, um, uh, and he also gives like a speech to the people in the, um, the place that he goes, which, he's initially quite hostile towards. So I feel like this episode in itself, there's a lot of really interesting character development with Luke, which I, I wasn't necessarily a big fan of what they did with Luke in the second half of the season, because it felt like he sort of just went off and did his own thing and he wasn't yeah. really dealt with much. Um, Yeah, I, I really agree with that. That's one of the few criticisms I have for the show. Um, Let's just uh just like moving on. Um episode five uh was Nell's episode. Um this is where the story really starts to become a bit more coherent. Um you find out that she's been haunted her whole life by this uh vision of a bent neck lady, so this ghost that um appeared by her bed, um and it's been haunting her ever since. Um even through uh, so she had to go through therapy to be able to properly sleep, um, and she ends up marrying uh, her therapist, a sleep doctor. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but uh, uh, something Vance. I, I, Tom, oh, yeah. You yeah. sent me this on the group <laughs> chat. Um, I, Whenever the word Vance was mentioned, like my first thought was just Bob Vance for Vance Refrigeration from The Office. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I I I like this episode, and by the time it had finished, uh, you see why Nell's gone back to the house because she's um become haunted by this ghost again, and she's trying to reach out to all of her family members. None of them, like they're all caught up in their own trauma and their own issues and can't really deal with her and her therapist her new therapist gives this weird suggestion that she has to go back to hill house and face her fears so she goes back to the house and we get in this sort of dream sequence where she gets sort of exactly what she wants um like her husband who had died earlier um from an aneurysm is there um all of her family members are there they or apologizing for what they've done wrong. Um, and she goes dancing with her husband and finds her mum, who gives her this necklace that she was promised earlier on. But then it turns out that in real life, that's the rope that she hangs herself with. Um, and we get this like terrifying two-minute sequence where she's dropping down through all of the scenes you've seen with the bent neck lady so far, and it's revealed that she was haunted by... Like her future's death and what she'll become. Um, which what what did you guys think of that? Because I I 
kind of saw it coming towards the end, but I still thought it was really impactful and really like good for lack of a better word. Yeah, I mean, I I also definitely saw that like twist coming. Yeah, but I mean, it couldn't really have gone any other way. So, uh, you know, it makes sense. And I just remember that episode has uh, the jump scare that got me the second most. <laughs> a bit in the corridor. Oh, when yeah. <laughs> the neck lady just, like, drops down. Because you're like, oh, there's no way that anything could appear here. <laughs> you're like, okay. I love the cinematography <laughs> of um, and the special effects when they would drop... when. So when she hung herself, she's you, the f- camera follows her falling and sort of dropping down through the, all of these uh, yeah. scenes. So you like see it from her perspective, dropping down in that corridor, and um, I really like that. Yeah, I also like these past two episodes. I felt that in the first three, it almost it had shown Luke as being like this really. It had a really hostile depiction of Luke, and then Nell was, um, they obviously something that motivated her in returning to Hill House was sort of that she was being uh, rejected of any help from her own family, um, and it seemed like the only person that really cared was her dad when she rings at the end, um, yeah. So I like the fact that this, uh deals with her perspective and it sort of explains a lot of the because obviously you don't see the part where she goes to um Stephen's book signing until this episode but it should I don't know it just kind of felt like it was quite a simplified portrayal of her before now uh, but you're really able to feel a great deal of pathos in this episode yeah um so next is episode six, which um, personally I think was the best episode. Yeah, all, it's my favorite as well. Um, and all that really happens uh, in the story during this is the family members arrive one by one to uh, Nell's funeral um, and to sort of see the open casket. And we're there's a storm, and it's follows as Ollie said earlier it's only about five shots for the bulk of the episode um where the camera will just like move from one room into a hill house so the funeral home into hill house and the transitions are flawless um and what's going on simultaneously is there's a storm the children are scared and Nell disappears and the parents go looking for her and they end up finding her and she's terrified and it's like, I was right here and none of you could see me, which um, I love the, con- the not contrast, the ref- sort of reflection of that with her ghost that sort of appears in the background for some of the funeral scenes. Um, oh yeah, that, that in this episode there was a lot of like Nell's ghost just hanging around. But then there's stuff the like the family were bickering and arguing and blaming each other. Um, and at its heart, I guess this is mostly a drama episode, but 
Yeah, when it but gets... I really like all the drama. So did I. And I think it it does the horror really well though, because you know it's got the the good old power going out, and uh, that happens in both sides or both time periods, because obviously you know they've got to all use torches in that storm, and uh, so it, it has a lot of darkness and not being able to see much, and everyone feels on edge, and it's that kind of like the use of the. Con- the really long shots means that you know there's no break between the the conflict like you you have to sit through it all um and it really increases the impact because at, at this point you've you've seen all the kids so you understand each of their problems with each other so it's you you get all of the arguments that are being had and it's kind of like <laughs> infuriating that <laughs> They can't get along, but it also makes sense. All the tension, um, you know, and I assume that the whole thing of, like, the two storms, well, there are two storms, but is the argument the storm? Ooh, deep. <laughs> One Damn. of the things I really did like, though, was um, some of the horror-y stuff in that episode um, sort of seemed like it was Nell's ghost interacting with them. So when they were really bickering, when they were really going at it, um, and getting angry at, with the, at each other, the casket falls. Um, yeah, and everyone just stops, and uh, Shirley just goes to fix her, and it fe- felt like that was just um, Nell telling them to stop. Um, oh, but I really loved the way that the characters were fleshed out in this episode, like, um, especially with like. I think this is the first time that like Stephen like shows a bit of a breakdown, a bit of emotion because he can't he can't really look at Nell that well. He just looks at her and uh, sort of goes off um, talking a lot. And it, you find out that was it this episode where um, it's revealed that. Um, Shirley took well Shirley's husband took Stephen's money yeah, this episode. Yeah. Um, and all of these relationships sort of just become fractured and just good it is good <laughs> good and yeah because there's the whole thing with Theo and the husband I think that's she later find out is projection Damn. is that Ooh. not episode 7 that's episode 7 no that's episode 6 it's right I thought it was Right at the end of episode six, they get caught in the cupboard. I thought it was episode seven because no, it was the power was off. It was six. The power was off. Yeah, it was six because the seventh episode is following the dad's perspective, and he's just sort of um, going around each of his kids and just trying to talk to them. And he approaches Theo, and she's like, "You know when you've really messed up." (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah this this episode was probably my favourite episode yeah Yeah. just a fun fact so the camera that this was used to film with um, it you had this uh, stand that would like wheel around um, and not make much noise Um, except it wasn't designed for carpets and there was some carpets, obviously, uh, on the set. Um, and they 
lock down this the production of the TV sh- of the TV show for like a month just to rehearse this one episode. Um, and by the time they'd done a few takes, the like wheels on the stands were starting to wear out, and the camera could just fall off and break. The stand could break, and the shots would just be ruined, and they couldn't get another one of them. So what they did was they chose not to tell the actors in case it affected their performance. And then right after the take you see in the episode, the stand breaks. So... <laughs> Damn. Was it was was it uh, interference from beyond the grave? Ooh. Ooh. So spooky. <laughs> anyway, so episode seven's from the dad's perspective, but infuriatingly, not yet do you get to see exactly what happens. Um. So up to this point, most of the sort of anger from the kids towards the dad you sort of feel is justified because he's just not told them anything um, and they're having to suffer because of that Um, and this one starts to really sort of well not the younger dad the younger dad's you can see is just trying his best but this starts to really humanize the older dad and you start to get glimpses of why he's protecting protecting them and not telling everything that's going on um oh yeah just a side note the dad was played the younger dad was played by the kid from et what yeah i was surprised that he had a career <laughs> past being a child actor that's crazy it's his eyes there's something i need to rewatch eyes. et he actually has brown eyes. eyes the reason the reason that they look fake is because they'll have contact lenses on to make them the same color as the older dad's they did a really good job of making the older dad look like an older version of the younger dad. I like, know, it was uncanny. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they just aged the actor. <laughs> but I really like that um I I don't this might be in episode 8, but I really like that thing of Stephen blaming uh it on like a hereditary thing rather than uh, so it's like something that he's trying to avoid because it's he's saying it's in the blood and it's it's really interesting that um, it's dealing with like natural horror elements, I guess you could say, um, and the fact that Stephen himself doesn't really believe in supernatural. He just sort of believes in stuff that we yet don't understand. Um, so obviously you see the, the horror of Luke's addiction and... Uh, well, Nell's sort of sleep paralysis and um, I guess you could say there's elements of uh, like how the other characters deal with it. So um, Shirley sort of obstinate in her ways and Theo is, you know, she's presented as being quite angry and uh, blaming other people. Um, so I think it's, it's really interesting seeing the perspective of the dads because it kind of reminded me of the shining parts of this. And I know that the creator of this show was actually involved in, I think he wrote and directed the um, film adaptation of Dr. Sleep, which was the sequel to the shining. That also was quite similar to this because in that Danny sort of has to go back and confront his past by returning to the Overlook Hotel. And it's the idea that, 
it isn't it's sort of a combination of the inherited um problems that Stephen believes in but also the actual physical house itself and the effects that it has on uh well the mum especially and also Nell which you see later on with um sort of the mum having to have a, a break from Hill House. Yeah. I really like the scene where Nell had literally just been buried um and Luke goes up and sees a ghost of Nell and a ghost of his mum, um, and it's like startled and reacted and react. And Stephen comes over and he goes, um, you know, just hang on there, just uh, you're mentally ill as well. We're all mentally ill, it runs in the family. Um, and I don't want to bury you too, which, uh, I just, I just really like the fact that that kind of really humanizes Stephen, that he, you know, his relationships with his siblings are all messed up, but he does really care about them, and especially, it seems to be, especially Luke, um, and he doesn't want to deal with the impact of a third suicide in the family, um, which, you know, he blames on mental illness, which, to a degree, maybe, that as an interpretation, that's how... The whole story is played out, but uh, I just really like that, you know. Yeah, and also the fact that the dad is kind of portrayed as ignorant and trying to move away from his past, whereas in reality, he also sees visions of his wife, and um, you know, he's clearly scarred by what's happened equally. As well, well his his coping mechanism seems to be just imagining his wife and sort of talking to her to keep her alive in his mind. So yeah. you see, that's again another example of like in earlier episodes, um, it's set up that he'll just like absentmindedly talk to himself, and then in episode seven, it's revealed that he's talking to his own vision of his wife. Um, yeah, but yeah. I'll probably say overall. Apart from, I did really like the cathartic moment with Luke's speech when it, it's linked to that. Um, the I think it's the episode four, the Luke one that's called the twin thing, and he's sort of talking about how they they've always had those connections, and that's why you see him having that physical reaction when she dies. But apart from that. I'd probably say this was one of my least favorite episodes just because I had to deal with following episode six and I wasn't a huge fan of like the mold storyline in the house, but I guess it was sort of a physical rep representation of, I guess, corruption or the horror, the psychological damage kind of, but it just yeah. didn't really work that well for me. Uh, yeah, I think it, it has the problem of dealing with the like episodes... Episodes one to five felt like a you know, run up and then big climax. Then episode six managed to do another climax. Like it was practically a miracle that that managed to top the previous episode. So then it kind of has to bring the show back down. It's like yeah, we've got four more episodes. We can't keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was the main problem was the way that it, the show feels to peak in the middle. I don't know. It's quite strange. Yeah. Yeah. So episode eight. I actually can't remember exactly what happens in this one. Um, 
because I'm great and have um, a this, this is the it's called witness marks. It's a the one where they discover the clock thing. So oh yeah, yeah. there's a lot uh, of it in cars. In cars, where there's the dad in the car with oh yeah, the, oh yeah, they go they're looking yeah. for Luke and and Shirley and Theo in the car as well. Yeah. And it's revealed. It's it's Halloween, yeah, because Shirley. Oh yeah. He's, here is someone knock on the door. Yeah. Um. It's revealed in this episode a bit more about what's happened. Um. With like. Is it is this the one where you find out that Shirley um had an affair, or is that that's the, the last episode? That was the last, was the last episode, episode, but it was yeah. Um. I think it was this one where she explains it, where she'd basically, she'd gone to touch Nell in the funeral parlour because she has this psychic ability, um, and she just felt this, like, overwhelming emptiness, and um, she just had to grasp onto something, and it turned out that uh, Shirley's husband was just there, um, and... You know, it it depends on how much you want to sympathise with Theo's character as to how much you believe that. Um, like her reasoning was probably sat in its whether like she actually did stuff with them or not. Um, but it certainly seems to be good enough for Shirley, who is like absolutely furious with her. But by the end of the episode, is just sort of like taking her hand and. Uh, leading her back in the car because they found out that Luke's gone back to Hill House so this is just the family travelling there to sort of stop him because uh, it's the most dangerous place for him according to the dad yeah um, this is also the one where with the flashbacks you get the one where Steve makes the, the paints the mirror for his mum and then she just smashes it and then obviously that's something that's explained in the next episode where you see her having visions of the older versions of the twins. Um but I I this episode was alright, but I just feel like it would have been quite nice to get the a bit more of a perspective of Luke after the funeral because you see him I think at the end is at the end of this episode where he's burning the house. Yeah, um, yeah, but I just sort of feel like he was largely forgotten about, which was a bit of a shame. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now we're getting there. We get to episode nine, <laughs> screaming memes. Um, which is this is the mum Olivia's episode. Um, and you see things from her perspective for the first time. So she, um. She started to see like this ghost um of the previous resident, um, Poppy Hill, who was like mentally ill. Um oh, that rhymes. It's a joke. <laughs> um but basically she ends up convincing Olivia that um the only way to sort of keep her kids safe is to kill them, essentially. Um and most yeah, from safe from the wide world out there, um, and uh, it's revealed exactly what happens on that night. Finally, in this episode, so um, 
Olivia's been like acting erratically lately, um, and uh, Hugh, the dad, had said, "Go leave the house, go have a break." But she comes straight back after she leaves, um, goes up to this the red room, which is this room with a red door that's been unlocked, that's been locked. Sorry, this whole time, and it's been opened for the first time. Ooh. Um, she has a tea party with uh, uh, with Nell and Luke and Luke's imaginary friend Abigail um, and she laces the teas with rat poison to try and kill them um, do- she doesn't get to killing Nell and Luke but she does kill Abigail and it's revealed that Abigail is actually not imaginary that she's the daughter of the housekeepers, uh, the Dudleys, um, and Hugh finds out that she's here. Is terrified for the kids. Like slams her against a wall to try and get them away from the kids, and puts all the kids in the car and drives them away. Which up to this point, you've been feeling, uh, like that was unreasonable, and you know maybe like suspicious of his motives, but um. It's finally in this episode you see the whole picture and you realise that that's actually the best course of action he could have done. Um, and then losing his kids in a custody battle afterwards was kind of just tragic. Um, and mm. the mother it... ends up killing herself. Yeah. Is this... Are we on episode 10 here or episode 9? Nine? Nine. Nine. I thought that you found out about... Abigail being the daughter you in episode do. 10? Yeah, that's episode 10. Oh, you find out she's the daughter, is, yeah. but it's revealed that she's real in this episode because she physically oh, dies. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I kind of knew that she'd be the their daughter because they kept going on about a daughter that, you know, lived in the house near the woods and they never let her near the house and everything. And I'm like, it's their daughter. <laughs> Cause yeah. Luke keeps saying she lives in the woods. It's, come on. <laughs> A bit of a general criticism I have of this show. I mean, it's it's not major, but it, I think it was most prominent in the last two episodes. Is I'd quite like to see more explored of Poppy Hill because I don't really think she was mentioned until I think it might have been the one before this episode eight by uh, Mrs. Dudley, um, and she was almost like the manifestation of the house itself and this psychological damage that it inflicts so i'd quite like to see i think it's good that it it shows it from the perspective of the mum for the first time but she actually plays quite a key role in the last episode um with like where you start to get quite a bit of the backstory of the characters which we'll talk about uh, in the finale but um I don't really know how they could have done it, but it, I feel like yeah. it would have been quite nice if she was a bit more I of guess a maybe throughout the show. Yeah, I was going to say either expand or t- just take her out because it was kind of a weird addition. It was like they wanted, you know, they wanted to have the mother to have tried to kill her children, but they also didn't want the blame to rest entirely on her. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, oh, just chuck in some random ghost. Yeah. It felt so, like she was kind of just squeezed in to to be the manifestation of the house at the last minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so finally, episode 10. So like at the end of episode 9, all of the 
kids had arrived at the house um, and ended up trapped in the red room um, where they find Luke. Um, and it's revealed that the red room, this mysterious room, has never never been opened and unable to be opened. Has actually been in their how in their lives this whole time and just different manifestations. So, like for Stephen, it was like Luke's treehouse. For um, Theo, it was a dance studio. For um, you know, for Nell, it was I can't remember what it was, but it had. Well, it- I think um, for Stephen, it was actually the room where he found the mirror. So, I think. Oh um, yeah. I think I'm right in saying that Stephen was the only one that's shown in somebody else's red room, because he was in Luke's. Yeah. Whereas everyone else, I mean, I think I feel like it was a big reveal on varying varying degrees because, like, the treehouse one, you're like, oh, whoa, that's quite a, you know, that was quite a big. Um, thing that featured in it early on but like i can't even really remember the one for nell or shirley so i mean the um, treehouse i've i just found i might just be because i'm stupid but i really like the reveal that like well well they were only there for like six weeks how could they have possibly like made a whole tree yeah it was that was it was like the thing with the porch light i thought they'd it's in like episode one that they talk about how when the porch light flashes twice, you need to come home. So I assumed that the kids were going to be like, you know, miss the porch light and be left out in the dark. And then it didn't happen. I was like, did they just forget about that? But it's actually in episode five when Nell arrives at the house that the porch light flashes twice. And you're like, oh, there's the thing yeah. about calling them back home. <laughs> yeah. And this episode, it makes sense because I think they say something about the dad building a treehouse and I was like, why would he build I thought that they weren't staying here for a while. Yeah. Why why would he do that? And then yeah. it was revealed that actually he didn't Yeah, so I quite sneaky. Like the... It's like it's like, oh you think it's badly written? Wrong. <laughs> you fool. I mean it made quite a good reveal when I think it's episode eight, the one where the dad reveals to Stephen that there wasn't a treehouse, but then at the same time, as you were saying, you're like, well, I didn't really expect that to be one because why would he build a treehouse if they're there for that long? And then the fact that all of these places are the red room with the same square window, um, which maybe if you were really, really eagle-eyed, you'd have spotted, but um, unfortunately I'm not, so it was a great reveal. Um and then it kind of ends with, so each of the kids has their own like vision. Um, so, for example, Shirley uh, has a vision of when a couple of years ago she cheated on her husband. Um, hypocritical. Uh, well, it was projection, Ben, because uh, she was told up about what she'd done. Um. But then all, out of all of these, uh, Nell appears and sort of saves them. Um, and Luke especially has seen that he's like injected himself her- with uh, rat poison, like heroin style. Um, and yeah. he's on the brink of death. And his uh, vision is having the tea party with Abigail and Nell and his mother. But Nell whisks him out of there. And once they're all out, it... Nell appears and has this speech about how time is non-linear and um, how uh, all of the 
it kind of pieces together why the uh, story has been told in like uh, a flashback like two t t timelines going simultaneously it kind of makes sense because that's how Nell's been experiencing it because time isn't linear and um, she says some final words to everyone um, and sort of makes amends and then the dad saves them by essentially just sacrificing himself to stay with his wife um, and yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah, because there's like a parallel there between him wanting to stay with his wife and uh, when Abigail dies, the Dudleys say, oh, you have to make a promise not to destroy the house. We get to stay here with her, um, even if it's just her ghost. But um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, um, I I like the the point where each of them are with Nell and they you know they're trying to sort of seek forgiveness for these things they did with uh, sort of not answering her calls and casting her out of their lives and i guess that kind of justifies the optimistic ending at the end but um at the same time it th there's almost a d degree of hypocrisy there as well because uh, that's kind of one of the reasons um, they were so angry at the dad, uh, but like they're almost presented as being able to immediately move on. And uh, I quite, I did actually like the ending um, with you know Theo gets rid of the gloves and uh, I, do you actually see Stephen's wife? Is she pregnant? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, at the very end, I don't know. I think at the very end he remember. just basic. No, because at the very end, um. No, ignore me again. I'm being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it, it because at the end, um, all of the characters so obviously each of their relationships with like their partners has been fractured. So, but they try to mend them. So I was thinking of like. He goes to his wife and apologizes and says he's going to try and be better and like surely admits to her husband that she's also like cheated on him and uh and it's it it's a really optimistic ending and but there was going to originally be so do you know that shot at the end where they've celebrated like two years of Luke being clean. Yeah, you can clearly see in that shot where they were going to put the red rooms like window in the back um, to sort of make it more. Ooh, are they still trapped in the red room? Um, mm. To be honest, I'm kind of glad <laughs> they didn't. Just... Yeah, I think I actually really like this episode. It doesn't have as high ratings as some of the past few, but I think it's the best episode of the final four. I'd say it's the second um... best of the season after episode six. Just because of the sort of emotional climax of it. I think episode five was better than this one, but... Actually, I don't know. I'm on this side. It's been a while since I've seen them now. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah I, I did really like the ending and the kind of optimistic feel, because that was being reflected in the soundtrack a lot, where it would have this kind of, like, spooky melody, but then it would have a major upturn in it quite a lot. So, yeah. 
a lot of times the soundtrack kind of reflected this hopeful tone and you know what's the reason and i think it's because the whole show is about dealing with some kind of trauma or grief and you know it's hill house is just a manifestation of trauma but it's because it's also about overcoming that that i think that's what the whole hope is about and that's the ending is that it's a bit weird that the dad dies but (laughs) you know the ending is them kind of learning to deal with the trauma and it doesn't need to destroy them and they can understand their differences you know come together with luke and all of this stuff uh so so i I did like the ending and the music to go with it as well yeah i'll just quickly say this because we've actually been going for a whole hour now i know (laughs) um i'll just quickly mention so um i really like the music here it's one of the few things we've done where i'm gonna say it's more than serviceable like it had it's it had very clear light motifs like um i think there was one which i originally thought was to represent the house but i think it was actually to represent the sort of family the familial bonds that should be there uh the piano melody that i really liked um Mm. and then just one last thing which um is comparing this to its sort of sequel uh the haunting of bly manor um which this is very it they're by the same director and there's a lot of overlap in sort of the directoral choices and the cinematography and stuff but in terms of the writing they're very different um this is a lot more i suppose artsy um and atmospheric and based on uh sort of the relationships uh between not so much the relationships between the characters but the trauma they've went through whereas Bly Manor is a lot more character driven um less sort of artsy um and more I guess more of a drama than this was um but they're both good shows um in their respective ways um yeah if you like go on review saying like um you know, I was I had really high expectations after seeing this, but then it turned out to just be it's like drop the horror and just emphasize on um you know the the characters. But I I felt like that was sort of the point in this. The horror was secondary to the dynamics within the family and those tensions created and that that's what really compelled me in this, but I would definitely be interested in checking out Bly Manor. Yeah. Um, and then he's not doing a sort of third haunting season, um, but he is doing another show at some point. Um, so I'm Mike Flanagan, that is. Um, so I'd definitely love to check out some of his yeah, other work. It's probably worth mentioning quickly that this is based on a pretty famous book. And apparently um, in the novel, there's only Eleanor, Theo, and Luke. So they ba- they just created Stephen, just entirely made it up for the show. And then Shirley is also a creation for the show, but she's named after the author of the novel, Shirley Jackson. So yeah. it does sound like there's quite a few differences. But Whereas, Yeah, um, that, that is a surprise that... I, I could see Stephen being put in later. I guess it would be yeah. weird to have your own book within your book. Equally, but, he's sort like of... Shirley seems really integral to a lot of the stuff. Yeah, um, and yeah, that kind of, that's again sort of different. Where 
uh, Bly Manor's based on the turn of the screw by Henry Jones, um, which is yeah. it's still you know a very liberal adaptation of it. But I'd say that Bly Manor has a lot more in common with the book than uh, uh, Hill House does. Yeah, and um, one thing because I just want to mention like one more of the technical aspects is that I've always had a thing of like films and TV shows where they want to have a silence but kind of like an enveloping silence and the way that Hill House does this to like enhance the horror is that it'll have a lot of really deep low like rumbling noises Yeah. so that it's never fully quiet but in a sense it just makes it feel like silence is enveloping even though it's not silent uh, I thought that was really effective and also helps when one of the at one point the mother says that one of the kids described the house as loud when they first asked them about it. So it also goes with that. Like, you know, it's it's just that feeling of like never being alone and also helping to um, enhance the horror with that. So I liked all the deep rumbling noises. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I feel like there's so much more to say, um, but yeah, we're going to be boring people off our minds if we stay on much longer. <laughs> this is already looking to be one of our longest episodes, apart from the episode 25 special, which in nine yeah. episodes' yeah. time, we might have something similar for you. This will be our 50th episode. <laughs> Should we try and give it a rating then? Yeah, yeah. So all the TV shows we've done. <laughs> this is the fourth TV show we've done. It's ridiculous. So much for film, TV, all of it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, well, off the bat, I think it's higher than an eight, purely because I like the atmosphere, the way it uses, um horror as but as sort of a back a background to the sort of drama that between the characters um trying to just trying to decide if i like it more than like room and the truman show i don't think i don't think i enjoyed it as much as um like Blade Runner, although it's really hard to compare. I gave, I think, if ending things, 8.1. Uh, what did I give room? An 8.0. I'm going to go with 8.1 for this. <gasps> Damn. I, I definitely think it's it's difficult, this, because there's a natural bias towards a great tv show compared to a great movie just because you're able to do a lot more in 10 hours than two but at the same time it is difficult to be consistent in those 10 hours mm. and there's definitely you know standout episodes but there wasn't like a, an episode that i hated or anything like that um and i feel like that the story was quite unique for what it was and the the way it approached the horror and all the technical aspects, the cinematography, the soundtrack, as we were mentioning, was really engaging. Um, so I'm going to give it an 8.2. Oh, that's so much higher than me. I, I think you're being a bit unreasonable there. 
Uh, uh, well, I think that I enjoyed this about as much as Marriage Story, so I'm going to give it an 8. There. I'm a lot quicker. Oh, did we just get a solid, <laughs> like, round decimal non-recurring? You did. Point oh, zero. We got a 7.25. <laughs> yeah, so... Really? Eight, That's... 8.1. Top 5? Damn. It's also... Is it a top TV show? You know, after yeah. yeah. scroll through the list of all the other TV shows we've done. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Cool. So, uh, quickly run through. We have a submission spotlight, uh, which is a section where we'll review your work of media. So, if it's if you've done a short film, a story, some music, whatever, you can contact us and send it in um yeah i i mean i mean i know tom probably won't remember that um because he'd be speeding onto the recommendations <laughs> which i think we should leave for yeah. this week yeah. um <laughs> or i could just say the film that i liked <laughs> say the title and nothing else the wolf of wall street good thank Shall you I go? oh god wait, wait, I, I just want to say eternal sunshine of the spotless mind Wow. There you go. Wait, I just oh, want to clarify. I like one. The Wolf of Wall Street because it says greed bad. I don't like Jordan Belfort. I'm not weird. <laughs> okay, I've got one too. The Mask. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very interesting. The, in the exact same genre as Hill House, obviously. And to keep, yeah. and to keep the uh, theme of horror, uh, given our, we don't have another link, uh, you will be horrified at how good the film will will be doing next week is the the uh the sequel to Shark Boy and Lava Girl We Can Be Heroes. <laughs> yes. Let's go. So um tune in next week for the, that. <laughs> and then hopefully after that we'll be doing some more TV shows and you can find out in advance if you go to entertainmentofexcellence.weebly.com and sign up for our mailing list where we'll give you the schedule and access to the next few episodes so you can watch the, watch the films and stuff in advance so that is cool also the recommendations master list so you can see all of our recommendations with that, go and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EOV Podcast. And I'm done talking, so. Alright, see ya. Alright, All right, see, see ya. Yeah, that's it.